So today, our guest is coming live from Houston, Texas. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights and information or simply learning from them. And today we have David Walters, founder and CEO, Steam Powered Marketing, straight from Houston, Texas, USA. And he will share with us some very special tips on powering your marketing to double your revenue. Welcome to the show, David. Welcome. AJ, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, welcome once again. And it's actually a pleasure to have you and get a lot of tips from you. So, D David, let me start you like uh, this show like this. You know, marketing is a very different sort of game. And, you know, in India, I, I see a lot of flights going my way. And, you know, uh, but very less number of flights. You stay in a very big flight zone, space flights, actually, you know. A lot of lot of space flights you see. But in India, I get to see in marketing a lots of lot of flights of fancy, you know, being uh, shown by a lot of people here. And sometimes marketing tends, tends to take a different name. You say that you are powering your marketing to double your revenue just in 12 months. Can yeah. you tell our viewers that this is not flight of fancy and something, you know, something different and actually a reality? Over to it, you. It is absolutely a reality. Well, well, thanks for that offer. Um, so let me explain. One of the things that we see small businesses mis make a mistake time and time again is that they... Um, they focus on tactics. So that it's, it's what we call the shiny object syndrome. Uh, email, Facebook, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, TikTok. They're always going after the next shiny object and they never actually get to the heart of the issue. Okay, And the heart of the issue is people need to be communicated with. And I'll explain why this is. Right. If I said to you, are you in B2B or B2C? What would be your answer? Well, I would like to have grab everything that comes my way. Okay. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a trick question because no matter what you said, if you said you're in B2B or B2C, I would tell you you're wrong. Okay. All marketing is H to H, human being to human being. And what we find is that when businesses first want to go digital, they make two fundamental mistakes. One of them is they throw away the marketing system that they had offline, which was probably working for them, and they throw it away and don't benefit from the, the experience they've already had. And the second mistake they make is that they actually sell to the screen and not to the person behind the screen. So what we always say is all marketing, whether it's to a consumer or another business, you are selling to a human being and you have to learn how to communicate with that human being. And what we've done is we are certified partners of a company called Digital Marketer, and they have a system called the CVJ, the Customer Value Journey. Now, this is an eight-step proven marketing process. We've helped over 10,000 businesses double their revenue using the CVJ process. And I'll explain why this is so powerful. All buying decisions are made in the emotional center of the brain. Even if you're buying a car, or a spaceship or an aircraft, even if it's the most technically complicated purchase you've ever made, at the moment you decide to say, I'm going to buy it, it's the emotional center of the brain that fires off. And so when you have your marketing, you have to appeal to people's emotions, okay? 
So to get that emotional, to get those emotional statements, we use a, a proven system to bring in the buyer's emotion when we do this. And this is based on the psychology of human intimacy. Um, now, you don't look old enough to remember this, but there was a guy in the in the 70s called Desmond Morris. He was an anthropologist and he wrote the first book on the human species viewed from the point of view of an anthropologist. It was called The Naked Ape and it became a global bestseller. Later on, he wrote another book called On Human Intimacy. And on human intimacy, he identified 12 steps in the human relationship. The first step is what he called eye to body. So you would see a potential partner, a potential mate across the street or across the bar or, you know, across the, the village green, however it was. And say, that's in a, that person has attracted me. The next step is eye to eye. You try and make eye contact with the person to see if they're interested. Then the next step above that is what we call voice to voice. So if you think about that in the dating world, that would be asking somebody for their phone number. And then after voice to voice, you get hand to hand. Initially, it would be a handshake if you met at a restaurant or a cafe. Later on, it could be holding hands as you go for a walk. And so this 12 step sequence continues through to ultimately level 12, which is consummating the relationship. Now, the two big findings from the work of Desmond Morris was, number one, the speed at which you go through all 12 steps has no relationship on whether you're going to be successful to get to number 12. Okay. The other thing he discovered was that if you miss a step, oh, sorry, you can get away. You can get away with jumping one step, okay? But you can't get away with two. If you jump two steps... It's too much of an ask. It, it's too much of an imposition on the other person. And rather than feeling like courting or dating or building that intimacy, it feels threatening. And this is where the vast majority of small businesses make their first mistake. They find somebody hits them on a website or they get a lead for a referral and they say, hey, you visited my website, buy my stuff. Okay. And they just jump too many steps in the process. So based on that, the relationship breaks down. They never get to to build that relationship where they can trigger the emotional centers, where they can get that person to consummate them. So what the, what the guys at Digital Marketer did was they took those eight steps, that the psychology of human intimacy, and they created what we call the customer value journey. And this is an eight-step process that goes from initial awareness, when you have that first eye-to-body connection, or in this case, an I to a website or I to a blog post or I to your Facebook page, but it's the first time the customer becomes aware of you. Then the next step is what we call the engagement phase. This is where you provide value. Okay. There's a psychological thing called the law of reciprocity. If I give you something, you are now psychologically obligated to give me something back. And, and the more I give you, the more uncomfortable you feel. Uh, until you've been able to balance the scales. Okay? Right, right. So step two is engagement. Give away a lot of free information. Okay? The more information you give away, and on your website or through an email list or however you're communicating with your with your prospect, give them give them really good, valuable information. This is where content marketing comes in. If you can give them good content, they'll keep coming back to your website to review it. 
Then you get to the third stage, which is what we call subscription. This is this is the equivalent in the in the in the mating sequence of talking to somebody. Okay. And what you're doing is you're saying, hey, I've got a really good piece of information for you here. And I'm going to give it to you, but I want your email and your phone number in return. That's what we call gated content. So at the engagement stage, we give ungated content. It's free. It's on the website. They can read it. They can get whatever they want. Once we've got their attention and they're, they're focusing on us, we then offer them gated content, which they have to trade an email and a phone number to get that gated content. Now, that is a critical point in the marketing process. Because those first three steps, awareness, engagement, subscription, are the lead generation process. When they subscribe, they go from being a prospect and they become a lead. Now, that's really important for the small business because at that point, the cost of your marketing stops. And that's critical because one of the rules of marketing, uh, and it's something, you know, if people want to take a golden nugget from this, from this event, write this down. He who can spend the most to buy a new client wins. Okay. So if you can spend more to get your initial client, more than your comp more than your competition does, you win the game of marketing. Okay. So he okay. who spends the most to get a new, he who can spend, sorry, let, 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 let me correct that. He who can and is willing to spend the most to get a new client wins. That is that that is the golden rule of the game of marketing. Once you now and just to give you another data point, those three those three bottom boxes, awareness, engagement, subscription are typically six to 60 times more expensive than the whole of the rest of your marketing put together. So it's critical you think, how are you going to get in an ethical and a non threatening way? How are you going to get the email and phone number? of that person who is paying attention to you. Once you've got that, you are miles ahead. You are streets ahead of your competition. Right. Okay. Now we can market to, now we can market to your lead for free because you've got their email, you've got their phone number. So the next step in the process is what we call the conversion stage. You can remarket to them. You can send them emails, whether you feel comfortable emailing every week, every two weeks or every day, as long as you are not, um, being spammy, as long as you are not being rude to your potential client, the more emails you send, as long as it's again, valuable information, the more, the stronger the relationship gets. Imagine in the dating sense, you have, you, you know, you get somebody's phone number, you say, Hey, let's go for a coffee. You go for a coffee and then you ignore that person for six months. And then six months later, you say, Hey, let's get married. Hmm. I say, Who are you? I haven't heard from you for six months. What, what's going on? Okay, so the the conversion stage is is when we bring them to that next step, which is which in the dating world will be going for a coffee or something like that. And what you have to do is you have to make it very non-threatening. So if I said to you, hey, I've got your phone number. Shall we get married on Thursday? It <laughs> wouldn't work. It's, it's too much. Okay. But if I said to you, hey, I've got your phone number. Would you like to go for a coffee? That's not too much of an ask. That's something that's not threatening. So then you go for the coffee, okay? And there's two things you would do. The first thing is, you know, as as the as the as the as the suitor, you would want to be as as well presented as you can be. You would want to make it a really exciting time for your potential partner. 
And the other thing you want to do is make it non-threatening. And at this point, this is what we call the entry point offer. This is a low, a low risk commitment. So we're asking for either a commitment of time or a, a, a commitment of a small amount of money. Typically, in the past, it used to be the $7 ebook. That was the typical entry point offer. Now what we see is actually a small commitment of time. A 15 or 30 minute discovery call is enough to see if that person's willing to take the next step. Once you've got the conversion, they're no longer a lead, they're now a client. But you now have to actually get them to buy something serious because they've, they've committed to you, they've given you some of their valuable time. You have to excite them and the excitement is to is to find out what their needs are and then express to them how you can solve their needs. That's called the excitement step. And the excitement step leads to the core offer. And the core offer is the main product or service you want to sell. So that's how you get a new client. But the, the story doesn't end there. There's three more steps. OK, right. Once you have a client, you have to you have to do what we call maximize the ACV, the ACV is the average customer value. And if you remember before, I said, he who can and is willing to spend the most to get a new client wins. Initially, yeah. If you, if you have a plan to maximize the value of that client, you can actually afford to make the first sale at a loss or a break even. Okay. If you make that first sale at a break even, that's what we call an SLO, a self-liquidating offer. But the beauty is now you have a client who's bought from you, they trust you, they like you, and who is more likely to buy from you a second time, a complete stranger or a previous client? Well, it's obviously the previous client. You've already got the relationship. Right. So right. what we do is at the, at the next stage, this is what we call the ascension ladder. And when we work with a small business, we sit down and say, okay, what is your core offer? What is the thing that you are best at selling? Then we say to them, can we, let me just step back. Have you heard of a gentleman called Jay Abram? Okay. Jay Abram is considered to be the marketing guru of the 20th century. Right. Um, I'm very, I'm very lucky. I'm actually in a mastermind group and Jay is one of the participants. So we get huge amount of uh, valuable insight. But okay. one of the things that Jay says is there are only three ways to grow a business, get more customers, sell more to them or sell to them more often. Most small businesses make the mistake that they, they want to grow by getting more customers. But remember what I told you, that lead generation is 60 times more expensive than everything else in your marketing funnel. Okay? okay. So what we do is when we first work with a client, we say, okay, what's your core offer? What can we offer our client that's valuable to them in addition to your base offer? So how can we bundle? So let's say you had a a service. So for example, in my case, LinkedIn marketing, I have a program that I can help people do LinkedIn marketing. Okay. okay. I also have a done for you service. I so, said, well, okay, you know, especially a business owner or a business founder, I just don't have the time to spend on LinkedIn and to do this. Okay. We can help you. We can give you the tools and the support to make your LinkedIn marketing effective without spending as much of your time on it. Okay. So that, so a done for you service, is a natural upsell, a natural thing to bundle with your core offer. The next thing to look at is what we call a cross sell. So let's say, for example, you are in the business of selling push bikes. Okay. So you can have your basic five speed push bike, or you can upsell them to a 10 speed push bike. Okay. 
that would be bundling that would be increasing the value of your core offer but in addition to that you can sell complementary products and services so if i was selling you a push bike i say hey aj would you like um, a helmet and a water bottle and a tire pump that's not part of my core offer that's all what we call a cross sell but we're adding additional products and services that fit the basic offer okay uh, okay. David, David, so, sorry, sorry to interrupt you here. Okay. Uh, one thing I wanted, yeah, yeah, you, you are, you want to complete a point first? No, that's fine. I mean, just remember, we, we're we're on what we call the ascension ladder. There's two more steps if we can get to. Okay, so you 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 first finish this, and uh, then and then I I come to my questions. That will okay. be better. Yeah. All right. So two more things that we build into this marketing system. People are most influenced by what other people say and do. It's called social proof, okay? So when you have made your first sale and you have a happy client, the very next thing to do is to get a testimonial from them. And okay. that should ideally be a video. Video is 14 times more powerful than the written word, okay? okay. okay. So if you can get a video- 14, 14, 14 or 40? No, 14, one four. One four, okay. Yeah. okay. So video is 14 times more powerful than the written word. So if you can get video testimonials, and put them on your website it's huge in your conversion process okay. video video testimonials human video testimonials that's, that's yeah. great that's a great idea yeah yeah and then the, and, and there, there's systems that we can show you and we can share with people that allow you to do that as simply by clicking on a button on a cell phone um and then the last step is what we call the promote step now this is a tricky one because this is where you're getting your clients to promote you and bring you referrals okay and okay. most people would say, well, what's in it for me? I know you did a great job for me. I'm happy. But why am I going to risk my network for you? And okay. the way you do this is, is you, you set up the situation where people can talk about the thing they love most of all. And what do people love to talk about most of all? Yeah. Okay. People always like to talk about themselves. So That's to get them to promote you, just as we're doing here you could you could do a little webinar you could do a q a session you get them to tell you get them to tell the story of how successful they've been because of your product and service okay because then they're talking about themselves they're talking about i i did this i did that yeah we used your marketing system and we doubled our revenue we're happy with that um but then once you've got to say okay who would you like to share this with oh well you know so and so so and so and so so you create that you create that opportunity for them to talk about themselves about how successful they've been then you share that with their network and obviously people say well if he's been successful i want to be successful i'm going to get in touch with dave and then that's the last step and then when you join that promotion stage back to the awareness stage you create what we call the growth flywheel and for a client we would run this for 12 months so in the so we do four 90-day sprints in the first sprint, we design and build their, their growth flywheel. And then if I said to you, do you think in any one area you could get 100% improvement? The answer is probably no. That's a big ask. But if I said to you, do you think in three months we could improve the value of our sale by 26%? Well, that's probably doable. If I said to you, do you think we could, involve, we could improve the, the, the quality of our conversion process? by 26%, you know, yeah, we could probably increase our conversion rate by 26%. And if I said to you, can we increase our lead generation by 26%? 
Well, probably we could over three months. If we get a 26% improvement in customer value, a 26% improvement in conversion rate, and a 26% improvement in lead generation, at the end of the year, that's a 100% increase in revenue. That's how the system works. Okay. Okay, David. Well, uh, well explained. Now, here's my very simple question. Okay. That, that you say that we'll improve your revenues in the in 12 months, especially to small companies. Okay, am I right? Yep. That is that is what we have done. So digital yeah. marketers have done yeah. 10,000 businesses. Right. There are hundreds and hundreds of marketing companies across the world, especially in your in, in your area itself, in your line of business, there might be. Now, everybody promises a lot of things. How are you different than them? Second thing, okay, second thing is, in the dating game, or in, in, in marketing, as you said, those who spend initially, if they can have the power to spend more, they win the game. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, the, 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 the quote is, he who is willing and able to spend the most to get a new client wins the game. Okay. So two things. How are, What are you doing different? And can small businesses that you mostly try to cater cater them can afford and win this game if they don't have much to spend at the initial level Absolutely. these two questions yeah okay so the first thing again as i explained the system to you we're talking strategy okay i haven't told you any tactic in that system at all i've told you the strategy based on human psychology okay right. so basically once we once we know the strategy then we work with a client and we find the tactics that they need depending on their market depending on their product or service depending on the emotional triggers of their client we then help them choose the tactics which are most appropriate okay and and the difference is if you remember i said one of the mistakes companies make when they go digital is they throw away their their current marketing system and they do everything they, they go after shiny objects what we say is show me how you are marketing today and let's take that same proven system that works but amplify it using digital techniques so we're not saying throw everything away we're saying if you have a marketing funnel that already works we will use digital techniques to amplify it to give you more volume and so that's the difference we don't throw away what they're already doing we're taking what that what works for them we're trans transforming it into a digital system and then using digital techniques, we amplify the effectiveness. So that's that's what makes us different. Um, and the second thing is, how do you afford it? Well, this is where this is where really understanding the buying persona of your clients important. Right. If you can get them. So that that ascension ladder, that stage where I told you the core offer, the bundles, the cross sells. And, and the, there was another one, a subscription service. The, 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 the ideal, the ideal op operation is to ascend them up the ascension ladder until you have them on some sort of subscription service, a membership club or a, um, so for example, if you were selling supplements, okay, okay it happens all the time now. If you can get people to say, hey, I'm, I want to buy my vitamins from you every month. And if you subscribe to my product, 
I'll give you a discount because you're now a subscriber. That way, the client is going to stay with you. I mean, Amazon's doing this now with the uh, was it subscribe and save. OK, if you can get your client to a subscription service, then you have them. You, you, your client retention is much, much higher than if you keep right. them at the transactional level. Right. right. And, and that, you get to. Yeah, you get to choose one month, three months, four months, whenever you want the refills as such. Absolutely. But also you're making it easy for them to buy from you. Because then they don't have to say, oh, I need my vitamins next month. I'll go online. Oh, that, that's a pretty container. Oh, that's a new person. They just know, oh, hey, I'm going to get my vitamins. Every three months, David's going to send me the vitamins. And he's going to give me a discount because I've subscribed him. I don't even need to look at another competitor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David, I will come to the Indian part of, you know, the businesses that are aspiring for U.S. market, other markets, small businesses also because online is there. Yeah. But initially, you made a very nice point that when businesses start to go online, they just focus so much on the online that they forget the offline part that they have achieved. Can you explain that better? Because this is a very, very crucial thing that you have made. It's like you have lost out on what you have actually, uh, you know, what, what actually propelled you to that level. Absolutely. So again, if you, if you have an existing business that's been successful with, with traditional offline marketing, what you should do is, okay, and, and, you, and, and a lot of businesses are, are successful by accident. They have not created a reliable, predictable growth engine. They just have customers. You know, we've, we've, we put an advert in the paper. We hang a sign in the door. People just see it by accident. That is no way to scale a business. You have to have a clear plan as to how do you going to get how do you get clients in the first place and then what do you need to do to amplify that process to get more clients so and and, and typically in all in, in all engagements there is some form of human to human conversation so never forget that people like to 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 be talked to they like to be communicated with in a respectful way they like the opportunity to express themselves if you can build that into your marketing system, you are going to be much more effective than just buy from me, buy from me, buy from me, buy from me. People have had enough of that. They want relationships. They want community. They want a sense of belonging. And if you can build that, you will have a client for maybe not for life, but certainly the churn rate and the, and the unsubscribe rate drops dramatically if you can build that relationship with your client. And then, then keep it successful. Continue to provide value and treat them with respect. As soon as you start spamming your email list, people will leave. So it always has to be done with respect and with a real compassion to help the other person achieve their goals, whatever they may be. Well, that's a very nice point you put out. I guess a lot of people who are listening to watching this, uh, you know, they would understand the human part of the relationship that actually brought them uh, forward to that level. Now, uh, David, one important you uh, question that I had in mind, you're such a learned person who knows about books, who reads so much of books and, you know, anthropology and all that stuff. Being a former nuclear submarine weapons engineer officer, you know, you've been there for so long and uh, submarine special operations expert, you bring that discipline into this line and which is such a huge thing that 
people you offer to them because you're such a disciplined person and marketing certainly needs discipline. But does marketing, which is such a different sort of a game, can adjust with the type of ethics that you also bring in? How does that work with you? Okay, and that's a very good point. I mean, just, just I mean, I was on submarines many years ago, but one of the things that we always understood and why our training was so intense was when you're on operations, anybody from the from the from the junior cook to the captain can make a mistake that puts the whole submarine at risk. So you have to have absolute trust in everybody on the submarine. And they have the process, the training process is so intensive. And one of the things that there was a saying in training that submariners eat their young. So there is no excuse. If somebody does not qualify, if they don't have the right mindset, if they're not a good fit, they don't go to the next level. Now, one of the ways, one of the things, and it's it's a difficult decision for a small business to make because you're normally cash hungry. You normally want to get the money in the door because you know you need to pay the bills. One of the ways of scaling your business is to aim to fire 80% of your clients. Okay. And and have you heard of the Pareto principle? Yeah, I've heard about it, but I don't know about it. Okay. So the Pareto principle is more commonly known as the 80-20 rule. So 80% of your revenue is coming from 20% of your clients. Okay. So if, you, if you can identify that 20%, really focus on them because they're your key accounts. They're the clients who are really bringing the money in. Then what you do is when you, you, know, you, you identify the bottom 20%, okay? When you come to renew your contract, you just say, look, you know, we're, we're moving in a different direction. Um, we're not able to, to serve you the way you want anymore. So you get rid of that 20%. So now you have more time, okay? If, if you let go of the bottom 20% of your clients, you'll maybe see a drop in, in, uh, in revenue of maybe 5%. But you've now got all this extra time and capacity to serve not only your top 20%, but also to then serve the what we call the, um, the star accounts. So your strategic accounts are the ones that are bringing in 80% of your revenue. The next, the next group of 20 are your star accounts. And these are the ones that you really want to work with and see what can I do to sell them more, to serve them better, to help them get a better product or service from me, to move them into that strategic bracket? So by firing your bottom 20% of your clients, you're more able to serve your strategic and your star accounts to get more value. And actually, you get more money from less effort. But that's something that a lot of businesses really, I, I've got to have everybody, I've got to serve everybody. No. You serve the people who are in the best relationship with you that you are best able to serve. And, and, and the other side of the Pareto, and this is common, this is, this is measurable, is 80% of your customer complaints mm -hmm. are going to come from 20% of your customers. Absolutely. So they're, they're the ones you want to get rid of and right, focus right. on the customers in, you like. In, in fact, they are using this 80-20 rule even digital, in marketing in a great way, in digital marketing, in terms of the type of content that you are throwing to your customers, that 80% of the time you got to show them content and 20% of the time you actually market. But, yeah, but actually how much it is, uh, uh, how, how do people balance it out? Because there's always this pressure of, you know, making sales. And 
not everybody has that got um, that much of deep pockets to you know when they are bootstrapped uh, they are small companies and and there is so much of pressure on you know making sales that how much bandwidth do they have what how do you work that out how do you work that out actually especially i'll come to the indian part of it a lot of companies in india are coming up so many people are watching this show how do they make uh, entry into a market like us so that is where i wanted to understand and even from inter- from your us clients perspective also how do they work this out okay so um so one of the things one of the things uh, i mentioned at the beginning when people are breaking into market they focus on tactics okay it's called right. the tiny object syndrome we also call it the unfinished bridge syndrome so you st- so imagine somebody is on one side of a bridge and on the other side is a pot of gold and okay. they have to build a bridge to get to the pot of gold so they start building the bridge so let's say they say my my market's on facebook i'm going to do facebook advertising and they start building the bridge and it gets difficult in the middle then somebody comes oh facebook's gone you need to do um you need to do uh email marketing oh, okay so they leave that half of the bridge finished they start building another bridge they get halfway there it gets difficult in the middle i said i'm sending out all these emails but nobody's buying we well, haven't built the relationship yet you haven't you haven't found the tone of voice that works for that client and then somebody says don't worry about that let's do artificial intelligence that tells us exactly who's about and where they're about to buy so then you spend money on something else and it gets you halfway there now you've had three lots of expense you spent money on facebook ads you never finished it you spent money building an email list you never finished it you're spending money on the next shiny object you never finish it what we say to people in that position is choose one it doesn't matter which one but finish it. Okay. Build the first step of the bridge. I mean, you may only have one strand in that bridge, but it's enough to bring some of that gold back. When that gold starts to come in, you can then say, I'm now going to finish the next leg of the bridge because you've now got some revenue that can then fund your marketing. Okay. You build the second leg of the bridge. And then when you've got more of that gold coming back, you you finish the bridge you built the third leg or the fourth leg or however many legs you do that's what we call the unfinished bridge syndrome and that's why so many small businesses struggle because they never finish what they start so they put the effort in they put the money in but they never get any return and because of that they're always cash strapped okay okay uh david one question you are marketing nowadays a lot to lawyers a lot of lawyers you know and that's, that's one of our disciplines yeah yes 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 uh, isn't that a dangerous territory for you to tread in because they have the power to sue you any time and if you tell them i'll double your revenues in the next 12 months you know how do you manage to do okay do so that and you know still be, a lot of lawyers are in india also so they they will certainly be listening to this. Yeah. So that the lawyers are actually a very a very different market. They're a very interesting yes. market. And there's, yeah. there's, yeah. Re- there's really two types of law firm. There are those that are transactional and then those that are relational. So a transactional law firm would be the sort of law firm that deals in personal injury, in, in tort cases, uh, trial lawyers. They're not there to build a long-term relationship. So, so for example, the, the obvious example is personal injury. 
somebody gets hit on the highway. I, I, I was in India a few years yeah. ago. In, I, in, 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 fa in fact, that is where, in fact, marketing, if you see from the ambulance chasers to actually uh, a planned marketing, it's come a long way, uh, you know, uh, and and it is going to be a i would like to listen to your views okay so so the ambulance chasers um and that's that's no that's not a good way to do business you need to be recognized that when when somebody wants you know when somebody has the car crash or when somebody falls off a ladder you need to be top of mind and that comes through advertising it comes through um paid search it comes through organic search so the the transactional law firm has to be very good at staying front of mind okay right. so uh advertising pay-per-click organic search um seo all of those things that make sure that when somebody says i need a uh, an injury lawyer you appear top of mind okay okay and i'll, I'll give you a clue if, if you have um do you have google my business uh in india is, is that available yes 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 very okay. much a lot of businesses are using it small so, businesses okay. so when you when you get the search terms people typically look at google my business that gives you the top three results now those three companies that are in the top three position on google my business get a hundred percent of the eyeballs okay right. if you have to click that button that says see more or you know further listings or whatever it's called only nine percent of people ever click that button okay so if you're in the top three a hundred percent of the people come up if you're in four and beyond only nine percent so if you're in a transactional situation you really want to be focusing on the ppc the seo if you're in a relational situation so for example the family the family law firm okay right so um, let's say that somebody says, I want a, I want a, a prenuptial agreement. It then goes and they, they end up having a divorce. Then after the, and th these could be different lawyers. Then after the divorce, they say, Hey, I need to, I need to change my will. I need to set up some trusts. I need to do something for my future children. That's where you get the relationship, relational marketing. Um, and it's where, where you say it may be different lawyers, but one of the things we teach is what we call golden nuggets. My estimate in a typical law firm in the US, which is doing law the way they've always done it, there are hundreds of thousands of dollars of unrealized revenue because they're not practicing key account management. They're not looking at how can they join those relational opportunities together. Right, right. Okay. It's, it's like, uh, so, so uh, as of now, you haven't faced any difficulties uh, from, from your lawyer clients as yet? Not yet, no. No, that's, with, that's, but no, nobody yet. So. That's that's great. Now coming to the marketing and the India part of it, uh, David. That is where your uh, you know you you can find a lot of big business. India is a huge country, big huge number of people, and lot of firms are coming up. Small businesses, medium sized businesses, individual firms. So many of them are coming up, and a lot of them are aiming for the U.S market european market other markets because of the because of the online facilities online tools that are available you know now if you were to look at india for uh, as a market for you you know to get a, because it's a global world now and they can do with a lot of good advice from you even a lot of indian lawyers too because you know there are so many international firms also looking at india they can have tie-ups 
purely from a business point of view, what would you tell them about? What are the tips that you can, you know, offer to them uh, in terms of value? That these are this is the value you will get if they try and if they engage with you, small business which is just starting up. Okay, so if a business wants to break into the U.S., again, you, you must remember the U.S. is a totally service-centered mindset. Okay. So you have to provide excellent service. And that doesn't mean um, constantly spamming people. You know, give people, give people the space to make their own decisions. There's an old adage, people hate to be sold, but they love to buy. That's a very good line. In fact, I saw it on your, uh, in your profile, and, and I love that line, actually, you know. Uh, it it, it makes so much of sense, you know, that Absolutely. they hate to be sold, but they love to buy. Absolutely. So again, it goes back to the emotional understanding. What is the benefit to that person from your product or service? Couch it in the couch it in the terms of the emotional benefit, the emotional value they will receive, and then make sure that you deliver on that. So you you can offer anything as long as as long as it's done respectfully and you deliver on your promise you can break into the market okay and and how do they how do they take your help your services being being here in india how do they uh, connect with you how do they talk to you you know see whether there is a fit at all sure if uh, i'm i'm on linkedin if anybody at all wants to connect with me send me a message through linkedin uh, i'll be more than happy to book a call i i mean i, I in the past I've, I've worked with indian development teams so i'm i'm comfortable working the time zone changes so if anybody wants to have a chat with me visit my linkedin profile send me a message and i'll send you a calendar link and we can book a quick call just to see if there's any if there's any uh, any value or anything we can offer to help with. Right, David. I will include your uh, details on the YouTube description so that, that you do, yeah, no, so that they can know where, where actually to find you and easily they can find you. Thank now, you. yeah, now the in, in, in terms of the business part is over. The bigger business part is about the valuation of companies, David. You do a lot of work in this, you know, to let companies realize maximum value when they exit their businesses. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let me explain how we how we got here. Right, right. Several years ago, when we just had the marketing agency, I was working with a, a chiropractor and we looked at his business, we looked at his competition and said, oh yeah, it would not be difficult with, with where you're positioned to double the amount of people coming through coming through your front door which I thought the guy would have been very pleased about. He turned purple and I thought he was going to physically attack me. And he said, the last thing I need is more clients. I need higher value clients. Okay. And so I had, ne I had not done enough work to understand the needs of that individual. And what had happened was in the past, he was getting a lot of high value chiropractic clients from the insurance companies, from car crashes and accidents at work and things like that. Over the, over the previous few years, the insurance companies have got much more integrated into the medical systems and, the, and the, the doctors' networks. So now this was all staying within the network and there were very few people going outside to the independent chiropractors. And he was getting the low, you know, the low value, the Medicare, the people who were coming in at $25 for, on a government-sponsored program. And he was missing out on the $75 or the $100 
um, appointments that he would have normally got from the insurance. So our marketing, when we when we we went in, we didn't ask the right questions. We didn't understand our clients' needs well enough. We went for volume when actually the marketing should have been for quality. Okay. And so one of the things I'm always very careful of, Ness. Okay, if I'm gonna if I'm going to write for you a marketing strategy, it has to align with your business strategy. What is the strategy for growing your business? And regrettably, in many cases, the client will say, we just want more money. We want more clients. Well, that's not a strategy. That's a, that's a dream. Right. right. So we found, we found that they didn't have a, a coherent business strategy. And then I said, okay, let's say we can double your, the size of your business. What do you want to do then? Well, I don't know. What can we do? Well, I don't know. That's your business. It's your decision. But one of the things you need to think about is how you're going to exit the business. And here's one of the great tragedies. Most people who, who commit their life to their business think that when they when they are ready to go, they can just sell their business, make a, a ton of money and go and retire and spend time with the grandchildren or play golf or whatever their desire is. The grim fact, the grim reality of all the businesses that are offered for sale, only 5% ever get bought. Okay. And if that's, that's a very low figure, that's a very, very low figure. It is. And it's a shame because a business owner thinks I've put my heart and soul into this business for the last 20 years. It's worth a fortune. And when when they do the and, and this is the other tragedy. If the business is based around the skill of the entrepreneur, of the founder, it's actually not a business. Because when you value the business, say, okay, so you do all the business decision making, you do the client relationships, you do the customers, you do the, the service delivery. So when you take my money and walk away, who's going to be doing that? And the answer is, well, nobody, if you haven't planned for it. So the business without the founder is worth nothing. Okay. Okay. And that's okay. a shock because the founder say, well, hey, I'm, I'm making all this money. I've got these great clients. But the business is based on the founder. It's not a business. It's a job. So one of the things we say to people is think about how you're going to exit. And again, even if you can sell the business, as a rule of thumb in the US, the valuation for a small business is 4.7 times EBIT. Okay. 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 If, if you look at an engineering company, for example, um, the, the the list for an engineering company is 8.2 times. So just by having a plan to say, we're not just going to stumble into our exit strategy, we are going to plan our exit. So you can go from a 4.7 valuation to an 8.2. If within your business, you have the opportunity to create a software product and you can sell the software product. So let's say you, you had a software, you created a SaaS product of some sort. The valuation for a SaaS product is 30 times EBIT. And if you think about it, the, the EBIT on an engineering company could be in the 10, 15% range. The EBIT on a SaaS product is in the 70, 80% range. So, th so these sort of decisions need to be taken by the founder from day one. How am I going to exit? What am I going to create? You know, if, if they're focusing on exit valuation, then the question is, how do I exit? What am I going to create? How do I maximize the value of my business for that sale? And I'll, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine had a, a marketing agency. He did very well. He got it up to, uh, I think he got to about $65,000 a month in recurring revenue. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Somebody said, hey, I want to buy this. So he sold the business to this person. That person then had some personal issues. They didn't run the business. They didn't manage it. After about six months, the value went, or the, the monthly recurring revenue went from 65,000 down to 15,000. The person who bought this said, I can't do this. I can't take this. They sold it back to the original founder at a, a, a fireside price. Mm -hmm. That founder is now trying to rebuild the business. And I think the last time I spoke with him, he said he's now back up at about $50,000 a month in recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. when I, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm almost at the point when I no, sorry, it's about 35,000. We spoke to an investor and said, once he gets to $50,000 a month, I potentially want to talk to him. But when he heard the backstory, the investor said, OK, well, I can't work with this guy. He's not got a business. You know, the fact that his business went from 65,000 to 15 in a matter of a few months meant that he was still central to the business operation. He hadn't got his systems. He hadn't got his processes. He hadn't got his infrastructure right. So the, so the investor said, it's going to be three years at least before I'm willing to look at that business. He has to get his processes. He has to get his infrastructure and he has to get the business systems working. So when he exits, the business will keep going. And that's a tragedy because this guy wants to get out. He sold out once. He's now back in a business that, that an investor won't look at for two to three years. So that's so, where, you know, the business owner needs to say, my strategy, 5, 10, 15 years down the road is this. And then you make your business decisions in a very different way. You make your business decisions based on the ultimate valuation of the business, not on the immediate expediency of the today's today to today's problem. Okay. So two points here, uh, David. When does a fine founder come to know that he has to exit the business. Does he think about it the day he begins with this idea or when he breaks even or when is the right time for him? How would he know that he wants to exit? Sometimes it's a very hazy line. Second thing is that the valuation of companies, if they are so dependent on sectors, okay, because SAS, SAS, Plus, it's going to 70 to 80 percent, 15 percent, 5 percent. What is your how does a fine founder come to know uh, what is going to be relevant in the coming years? Because you start with something and a five years down the line, that whole thing is gone. You know, it's, it's, it's gone, simply gone. You have nothing in your head. So these, so, these... What and it depends on the heart of the founder. Some founders get into business just because they love the product, they love the service, they love the customers, so they will stay with them and they're not even thinking about exit, okay? Um, and then you help those people. So typically, you know, I believe that it's impossible to, to honestly plan more than three years ahead. Um, and we use, we use a, a process called the 12Q planning. So we, we always have a 12 quarter plan and we work that plan. And that's what we recommend to our clients. So when does the, okay, carry on, then I'll go. Sorry. So, so the sweet spot for an exit is no less than one year away, maximum of three years. Three years is the ideal because it gives us time to make the changes in the business to maximize the value. So in some cases, if you had a founder of, of, a, of a long established business, it may be a personal change. They may say, okay, I've got grandchildren or my health's deteriorating a bit or I want to spend more time with my family. So the decision to exit is a, is a personal one. Okay. 
And what we do is, okay, in three years time, let's, let's do these steps now. There are seven different protocols that we can implement to maximize the value of the business. Um, and then they, and then they exit at year three. Another option is someone who comes in and says, I just want to build a business. I want to maximize the value. I want to sell it. And I'm going to take that money and then build another business. So that's the serial entrepreneur. So they go in with the focus right from day one of building and selling straight away. Now you may, you may say, so how do you get from a low margin business to a high margin business? Right. Well, I, I have a, a client and I'm actually meeting him later today who is in the health and safety space. Okay. So his business is actually body shopping. It's relatively low margin because he's bringing in safety inspectors, putting them on sites, and then they're serving the contract. So he's making his money, he's growing his business, but he's never going to have a high valuation for that because there's not a lot of tangible value, uh, a lot of tangible assets to the business. But I said to him, said, okay, in the health and safety space, is there any any opportunity for um, a software product, software as a service? And he said, well, I don't know. I said, okay, that is the way you can massively increase the valuation of the the business for exit. So when you go in, even though your day-to-day operation is providing safety inspectors to construction sites and industrial facilities and whatever else, think about how you could create a SaaS product that you could then say, okay, I'll, I'll split the business. I'm going to create, you know, from, from my initial core, I'm going to create two businesses. One of them will be my, will be my safety inspectors. The other one will be my SaaS product. And actually, I, I don't mind if I don't make a lot of money on the safety inspectors because they give me the, they give me the, the bread and butter money. They give me the customer relationships. They give me the exposure. But I'm going to sell out when I've built my SaaS product and I'm looking at 30 times EBIT and my EBIT's going to be running at about 80% of revenue. So that's another strategy. Use your existing business to fund the business you want to cash out within the exit world. Okay. So is, 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 is it also included in your strategy to enter the stock market for the IPOs and all? For a small business, that's a, that's a big challenge. But one of the things we often find, we, we have a great network of investors. What the investors will often look at is actually bundling together a dozen similar businesses. So then the volume and the mass that they'll create a consortium, they'll create a group of like businesses. So when they take that to market, to venture capitalists, for example, there's a much higher valuation, there's a much higher revenue, and that's going to make the VCs and the higher investors much more interested than looking at a single business. But that's, you know, that's a much more complex part of the operation. Okay. And, and when does the founder then con- con- connect with you? At what stage? What's the time for him when he, sh- he knows that you exist for them? I mean, anybody's welcome to connect with me anytime. I'd love to chat. I'd love to get to know people. But if a founder is, is getting serious about a business exit, the ideal is that we start working together three years before his desired exit date. That is the, that is the, the best case scenario. We can, we can do up to a year. But it's a rush and you don't get the maximum benefit. So three years before exit is when we should start talking. Right, right. Now, coming from uh, looking at the India part of it, David, you know, a lot of IPOs are coming in. A lot of unicorns are coming in and lot, a lot of them are in the pipe, you know, pipeline for the IPO. Now, for Indian fa- uh, founders, a lot of them are young, 
a lot of have already you know sold some some stake to some venture funds and all whoever they are a lot of them are also you know small people who are you know trying to build up their businesses and they want to exit whenever they can and you know maybe spend their time uh, in some luxurious place what is your you understand it's it's a global world uh for have you observed the indian system how it works businesses how they work you have worked with indian businesses earlier on how do you look at the indian ipo indian founders and the where they want to you know how they can create better valuation for uh, for their companies which they are having at the moment yeah so i mean the indian market is maturing very nicely i mean you know a few years ago it was uh, quite constrained it was it, you know one 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 of the uh, one of the sort of holdovers of the british empire is a, is an overburdening bureaucracy and you've managed to escape from under that so you know india is getting much better at being reactive to the marketplace to supporting uh you know the entrepreneurs so that's a good thing um but what i would say is you know if you want to get international investment you have to have an international presence so okay. um, unless you just said you know we are going to we are going to be the best we can be in india and we're just going to certain and there's there, there is some re rationale for that um you know especially if you've got a tangible product that you've got to ship or move around so to say we you know to say we are going to be the best at this product or service only serving the indian market is a perfectly valid strategic decision but there are consequences so the founder has to think through it's going to make my life easier initially but it may reduce my my end state valuation because i i don't have a global reach or i'm not penetrating multiple markets so that's that's part of that decision making from the founder does he want to have the complexity of international trade, of international shipping, of international legal systems, or does he want to make his model fairly simple, knowing that the the ultimate valuation could be impacted because of that? And that's that's a that's a strategy decision only the founder can make. Right, fair enough, fair enough, David. Now uh, you have explained both the marketing part of it, the valuation part of it, you know, very very well and. There's so, there is so much to take uh, uh, take from all this talk with you. Coming to your life, uh, David, you've been had a, such a you know busy life uh, first in the submarines and then marketing. And uh, marketing is not easy. It's not easy to deal with clients. Everybody has got expectations, and everybody wants to be you know uh, to sell their call, uh, companies for billion dollars. Uh, every founder thinks good of their company. And even if they know their constraints, they would at least expect something, some some miracle at least from you because they think that they can exert some pressure. How do you manage? You still you do so much of charity work, so much of philanthropy. How do you manage all these things uh, together? And you know, you do something called the Tango Dance Studio. So how do you put? Can you tell us about that part? Absolutely. So my 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 oasis of sanity is Argentinian tango. Okay, and uh, tango is a unique dance in that it is the only dance where both where both dancers are physically connected for the entire dance, and right. they and, and the phrase is they share a common axis. So in tango, you're you're always um, on one foot or you're always out of balance, and it's the two dancers pressing against each other. 
that gives you that uh, that gives you that stability. And Tango is unique because one of the things when you when you're dealing with uh, uh, your follower, the lady is typically the follower in the Tango uh, relationship. When I spoke to the ladies when I first started, because there were some excellent dancers where I go, I thought, well, I'm you know I'm a, a bit of a clod. I'm not very I'm, uh, nimble. I'm not very good at this. When I spoke to the ladies who were outstanding dancers, the biggest thing for us is we feel safe because obviously if you have somebody whizzing around in high heels, the last thing you want to do is drive your partner into this tornado of high heels. We want to feel a strong embrace. So for the ladies, they want to feel protected. And then we want to feel that our leader knows what he's doing. Okay. When you bring that, and, and, and so when you bring that together in tango, and you have that that close embrace. Um, it is the it is the leader's job to protect his follower, to get the follower move around the room. But what happens is in that connection, amazingly, the four uh, happiness hormones in the brain are triggered: the embrace, the music, the connection, and moving around the room together triggers all the four happiness hormones in the brain. And some people actually get addicted to tango because it is such a powerful emotional release. Um, so yeah, so my, my, my sanity is with, uh, with a, a dancer. And, and this is the other thing, which is, remember we talked about the psychology of human intimacy? Right, right. Level, level nine of 12 is hand to body, okay? I can go to a tango festival and stand on the floor and, and meet, uh, meet a, a lady dancer and uh, and the first thing actually in, in tango, the first thing you do is make eye contact. So you make eye contact, you see if that lady wants to dance with you, you then escort her to the dance floor, you open the embrace and she will then come in and, and form what's called the close embrace. And then you dance together for about 12 minutes. That's how typically how long a, a session lasts. And you think about this lady, it could be somebody you've never, you've never met before. It could, you could be at a festival with hundreds of people and yet you have to present that trust and that reliability and that that sense of safety that a lady will come in and get into this very sensual, intimate connection with you and let you drive her backwards around the room for 12 minutes. But having done that, you have the most amazing emotional release and the most amazing sense of achievement. And, and as I say, tango becomes addictive to people. It really is the most remarkable. So if anybody's feeling stressed or lonely or overwhelmed, find a tango studio and say, I just want to do a practice lesson of Argentinian tango. Your life will change in a heartbeat. It's amazing. Where did you learn this? I go to I go to a tango studio in Houston. I go three times a week. I'm helping them with their marketing and I get to dance with some of the most generous and gorgeous ladies in Houston. Why would I not want to do that? Perfectly all right, David. That's that's well said. And as they say, it takes two to tango. That's why you know Absolutely it takes two to whether whether it's whether it's tango or whether it's business. In business, you got to have uh, when as a founder, whether you want to have a good marketing, whether you want to have a good valuation, you would like to have a partner, a good partner, uh, somebody like David David Walters, and and it can be a good tango in terms of valuation in terms of taking your company forward on that note on that note it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ masterclass thank you for your time david thank you so much indeed aj it's been a real pleasure thank you thank you thank you